We're back to Whiskey Hue, a podcast from three brown startup enthusiasts that pull back the curtain on business, culture, and side pieces. <laughs> Not that type. We're talking emerging media, e-games, blockchain, cannabis, and so much more. Without the bullshit, and most importantly, over whiskey. America calls Clyde Black, Athul Brown, and Anthony somewhere in the confusing middle. Yeah. The three brothers, various shades of brown, bringing you the latest in tech, business, and startups, mixed with a ton of sarcasm. Cue the music. Oh, he finally remembered. He finally. All right. Welcome to the Whiskey Hue. We're in for a great episode today. We have um, some exciting topics to discuss. We have an exciting guest who's gracing us with his presence. Um, we've been, you know, going through a great week, and you know, I just want to get right to it. Ag, you introduced us to a, a, an amazing guest who co-founder of Black Man Talk Tech and Funder.ai. Uh, Boris Morstan, and you know I'm gonna let you uh, introduce him. Let the uh, our whiskey hue audience know. I've got my guy here, Boris Morstan. Uh, let's see, Boris Morstan is a co-founder of Black Men Talk Tech, uh, which is an entrepreneurship collective that promotes uh, collaboration between Black men and other members of the tech community. Additionally, he's a co-founder of Funder A Funder AI Funder dot AI. If I'm saying it correctly, uh, which is a platform aimed at angel investors. Um, yeah. To help them complete, um, excuse me, complete the vetting and due diligence process in a startup ecosystem, um, which is a different different space than you know for me, but is a space I know a fool and Clyde know very well. So we're going to get into a great discussion. But the the little pullback somewhere to curtain, uh, Boris. The way I, the way I look at it when it comes down to describe Boris, he's a finance guy. Okay, it's just, it's just, so it's all about the money, dollar dollar bill, y'all. It's in the private equity side, it's about God time. Bank of America, time. Royal Bank of Scotland, <laughs> Goldman Sachs. I think Ooh. the the last time before before the you know we we touched base again with you know in the black man talk tech era of Boris's career. Last time I seen it was at Goldman Sachs, and I when when I walked through the office, and some of this people there thought I was some big time um, athlete because I was just chilling in whatever work gear, relaxed gear. <laughs> and they saw Boris with me and they thought I was I had millions of dollars to kind of uh, Oh yeah. Oh, millions. I was just in jeans and, a, oh. and like a Ted Baker sweater. <laughs> so you, you 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 had to be a football player because how else would you make billions? But welcome Boris. We're well, excited well, to have well, you. Well what Boris did I go back to high school. Yeah. Okay. Where, where nice. Well, he's trying to be working, man. He met prep in New Jersey where he was on, unfortunately on the fencing team and I was on a wrestling team. Clearly, we know who's uh, who had a better program there. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, made, I made varsity my freshman made year All right. in, oh, wrestling. in wrestling. The, the, eighth, the, the, the eighth person in my school's history to do that. Uh, freshman year varsity wrestling. Like, I quit wrestling for that. I just couldn't take the coaches. They were they were hard. There was a there was a there was a regime change among coaches, and I didn't like the new guys. So I was like, I'm out. Because if you're gonna uh, to, to Anthony's point, to, 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 you know, the blah, blah, Anthony, if you're gonna do wrestling, you got to give everything up. You got to be willing to run through walls and jump off cliffs every, every day. day. <laughs> and like, and sometimes you do it for the band that's leading. Yeah, because yeah, what the fuck am I starving myself for? <laughs> you know, it's, just like, it's like yeah, you're not. That's not something you honestly want to do as a kid. But if you got the right coach, you'll fucking do it for him. So my coach, I love this guy. I would, I would kill myself for this guy. I'd run through anything. I made varsity, you know, my freshman year, um, and we were already like a nationally ranked, you know, school and national yeah. champion. And I think you guys, your teams went on with, with, you know, you know, with the new guy to win national championships. So. We come from a, a legit programs, a legit high school. That all this, I, keep, I keep on telling these other guys. That's where we. You might want to send your sons there. Legit. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, we we believe you, man. Well, anyway, let's get back on track. Let's get back on track. Right. We're already, already so, on track. So welcome, Boris. We're excited to have you on the Whiskey Hill. Uh, we're going to be talking business, tech, and culture. You're the perfect person for that conversation. But most importantly, we want to introduce our whiskey of the day. Uh, as a special guest, uh, we want to make sure that you can introduce the whiskey, uh, tell us a little story behind it. And uh, what we like to do is we've all went out and uh, invested and got a bottle and some of us will be drinking it today. And then um, 
we'll we'll give a brief review after the end of the episode after we talk business tech and culture uh but introduce the whiskey let us know your thoughts on it why you picked it and then we'll dive deep into it after the episode am i up to talk about my whiskey all right all right so all right number one i'm a real big wine drinker (laughs) but and, and whiskey is too manly for me. That shit used to burn and hurt. And I just didn't do a lot of research into whiskey. So I didn't know how to drink it. So my whiskey would always come with ice, right? On ice, you know. Um, but I did some research and I went out to my local liquor store and we sat down. And he was like, you missed the whiskey tasting. But they did a special tasting for me. Nice. And, <laughs> and um, so today they actually had the whiskey that I want because they were out of stock. But it came in. So I went to go pick it up. It's called uh, Copper Dog. So oh. it's um, it's a Speyside blended malt scotch whiskey. And how they make that is they just put it in these barrels. Um, they age them uh, different ages and they start to, you know, uh, mix them. It's the same thing, just different ages. And they, they blend them together. So um, it's really delicious. It's very fruity. Uh, a sense of honey in here. Uh, oh, whoa, and whoa. it's really. Don't describe sweet. it too much. We'll leave that to the end. Absolutely. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, I gave it away. But 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 I've been taste testing, and 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 Anthony warned me against against this. He was just like, <laughs> "You got yeah." So now I'm like feeling real good. I can't move too much because I'm just gonna because then I I'll, I'll get really crazy. So I've been drink. I probably had four of these already. So I'm just gonna. Oh, like, that's great. Stay Ooh, still. I told, I told I, you are friends with Anthony. Him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony usually shows up lit up, man. I really fucked this up. <laughs> I thought I was like, listen, you're going to drink during the episode so we can keep on, we can speak straight. But whatever. So, 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 so Boris, that's amazing. Thank you for introducing us. This is truth serum. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for introducing us to uh, Copper Dog. We're going to dive into it a little bit later. Uh, before we do that, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, we're going to dive into questions, but we want to we hear from you, you know, Tell, introduce us to your journey. How you get? How you got from, you know, being a um, state championship teams, fencing teams, friends with AG in, in Jersey to uh, where you are today, just at a high level. You know what? So at our prep school, we we went to a Catholic prep school, so we had mass every morning, and then um, in the mass, the the guy who ran the school, Father Edwin, so he's like headmaster of the school. But he's like a regular priest in his in in, in the monastery, right? He, he's a, he's a Benedictine monk. But every fucking morning, this Father Edwin would have a newspaper. This is back in the day. This is like nineteen ninety four or five, right? He'd be going through his stock picks because he has millions of dollars to run the school invested in the markets, right? So he'd look at he'd be in the New Newark Star Star Ledger looking through like how his stocks are performing. I sit down and watch that. What the fuck is this guy doing? Anyway, <laughs> that planted the seed. When I went to college, I went to college at Brandeis, and I focused on philosophy. And then I came back to the prep school, talked to my algebra teacher. He was like, Boris, you're going to Brandeis. What the fuck are you doing philosophy for? You, know, you, should, you should be doing economics. That's what they're known for. Nice. So nice. I went back, and I did economics, and I met all these cool people. And one guy was investing in Goldman Sachs IPOs. And this is down. You, you guys remember the tech bubble. So this was like you buy any IPO stock and it'll go up 20 to 30 percent over it by the end of the week. Right. And he got me in on it. So I was giving him my work money, you know, the five hundred dollars I made, you know, over the month or whatever <laughs> student working. And, and we'll put it in there. You know, his parents were sending him money from Greece from Greece. And that's how I got into it. So I decided not to go to law school. And I decided to go to Wall Street, but I didn't go to Wall Street directly. I worked for a private equity group, which was harder than I thought. Now I knew, wow, man, I was an impossible job and I got lucky. But I worked for a private equity group that did investing in all these distressed publicly traded companies. And there were some mean mother. Can I curse on here or not? Of course. Well, no. Oh, too, late. too late. Too late. There were some there some mean motherfuckers, man. These guys will, will sweet sell you and talk you to taking their money. And if you fucked up when you were managing, because you have a publicly traded company, right? And the deal was listen, we'll give you the money and it's gonna convert into equity at some future. So it's debt right now. But if the stock price goes up, it'll be great. But if it goes down, we're basically going to take your company wow. over. And the guy running the fund was an M&A expert. So he'd look at them, have all their assets seized up, 
And if they fucked up, he takes over the company, starts selling that shit out. You make tons of money. So I, I did that. It was exciting. But then after a while, you just feel guilty. I'm talking to these guys and, you know, they're entrepreneurs, right? So, like, they only think they're going to do well. And you're like, oh, man, we're going to be owning your company in, like, six months. Like, uh, Gordon Gecko, right? <laughs> so, Gordon Gecko style. Um, but, the, you know, the fund did it very well. And then the tech bubble happened. And then they were reassessing and bonuses were going to be down. And I was like, I can't wait for the market to come back. I got to I gotta learn something new. And mo- moreover, I just wanted to get out of this business because I just thought it was – I thought it was a horrible way. But listen, if you were a trust fund kid, this is for you. Like, this is what these guys do. Um, but I went to work for an alum of our prep school, um, Charles Carley. He started a, a, one of the most famous credit card companies that no one knows. It's called MBNA. The reason why you don't know them is because they pioneered affinity marketing of credit cards, which is um, if you have, like, your university, you know, you know, credit card, a credit card with your university name, that's what he did. So you would never know his bank because you would think your university was actually lending you money. So that's what he pioneered in, in card lending. And you see I'm slurring already. And essentially, um, I got posted into their treasury department. And I issued about 20 to $30 billion worth of bonds every year to Wall Street. And when you do that, you make lots of friends on Wall Street because I pay their bonuses. So essentially, when that bank was being sold to Bank of America, and it's now the credit card arm of Bank of America, and all those guys run Bank of America's credit card business, um, someone asked me to join his investment banking team, one of my bankers did. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I, he was trying to launch a new European investment bank. Oh yeah, and my fiance, who was hot, you know, my wife now, and my fiance, this guy was trying to establish a new investment bank that was big in Europe, here in the US. And it's really hard because how the fuck are you gonna like try to try to like compete with Citigroup and Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan and it like in New York coming from Europe. We did that. And I had all the contacts to get him all the clients he needed. So we built a wonderful business. I went on to get promoted and to build like a new business within that group. And then the financial crisis happens. Mm. You're like, oh shit. And we were gonna merge with Barclays, but five other investment banks got together and did a hostile takeover of us. Five other international banks, I should say, international banks. And my group went to the Royal Bank of Scotland. And at that time, I was like, I, you know what? My career has been taken off. I love this group, but not really. It's not, you know, it's a hostile take. I don't want to be with them. And I was reverse commuting from New York to Connecticut, which was an hour long commute. Yeah. I just fucking hated it. And I was like, let me put in an application of business school. So I went to business school at Duke and got out i did trading but like i went to duke thinking i want to start my own hedge fund i want my own fucking businesses sometime nice right so that was the thesis for going to business school and i got out i did trading at city group so equities fixed income and me and my boy so i have a, a one of my best friends he's he's from india um from and he's like one of the smartest guys in this i thought i know that would register with you all these other guys are insensitive like <laughs> not it's about time it's about time somebody stood up for me man that's like <laughs> But me, me and Venkat, me and Venkat, you know, we're working at big Whoa. finance institutions. And Venky was like, um, Boris, you were reading in the Journal of Finance about this new investment strategy. I'm not going to get into it. Long story short, we built out a strategy. And um, we went to our, our, our uh, one of our mentors who sold five investment banks. The, uh, I'm sorry, five hedge funds. His last hedge fund was purchased by Citigroup. And his managing partner became the first Asian or Indian CEO of a major investment bank. His name is Vikram Pandit, right? Oh, um, Citi- okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and that's where I was working. So I met this guy at Citibank, but he was an alum of my business school. And he was like, um, he left City at the time. He was bored. So I was chatting with him. I was like, listen, one of our professors put together a hedge fund. And maybe you want to do that because you look bored at home yeah, since you sold this little. And he's like, I am bored. So he joined my my professor's hedge fund raised a billion dollars for it, became the managing partner of that hedge fund. And then a couple months later, I said, listen, me and Venkat are working on this awesome investment strategy that we learned from this quantitative you know, hedge fund. I want you to check it out. He looked at it and goes, this is fucking hot. Test it out for a year, I'll help you. And then if it's successful, I'll seed you. So a year goes by and we said, where's our seed money? Because we just fucking crushed it. And he was like, I'm not giving you that money. I changed my mind. I want you to join this my hedge fund, and I want you to come. And I'm like, 
I don't know. And Mankot's like, hell no. You knew that's what you wanted to do from the get-go, and you bait and switched us. So I can't trust you. So we ended up not working with him, which I don't know. I think that was a mistake because the strategy went on to do very well. And he wanted that strategy so badly that he hired the guy from that hedge fund AQR to replicate it. So AQR is where we got the strategy from, that and the journal. Oh, yeah. So that motherfucker wanted it so badly. He went to the main fund that this, that, that they created this thing and hired like their top analysts on it. And he got it done anyway. Um, but I went to Goldman and I did investment management co- co- covering um, uh, family offices and nonprofits. And, um, you know, that career was great, but not exactly what I was looking for, particularly after like originating businesses uh, out of the Middle East uh, from Saudi Arabia. That was really big. And then uh, finding out that they weren't actually my clients; they were Goldman's clients. And Goldman was going to treat me like a, a, you know, like a junior employee and take the clients from me. So I, um, I left Goldman and I decided to, uh, you know, focus on entrepreneurship. Okay. And I think that's where we're starting to get into this. So I uh, met this woman named Rachel, and her company was just accepted into the accelerator at um, Morgan Stanley, the Multicultural Innovation Labs at Morgan Stanley. And um, they did something that was sexy. You know, uh, Robinhood was just coming out, so everyone was trading on their iPhones. And they did something where, you know, everyone was getting their news updates from social media. So they had this sentiment analysis reader that'll tell you, if the social media sentiment on your stock was positive or negative. And if it was positive, you could trade it one way. If it was negative, you could trade it the other way. And then the user base started to ask for the same thing, but for cryptocurrency. Interesting. So they had to go to a cryptocurrency company to figure out how to get it done. And essentially what happened was the cryptocurrency company said, hey, we want to buy you guys. <laughs> so they bought us before I got any equity. I was there for like three weeks uh. and they got bought that was my yeah. that was my entree to yeah. entrepreneurship. Fuck, make money. You bought out in four weeks. Damn. <laughs> you know, as you start, but uh, clearly they were an exception. And I, you know, one of my friends called me up. Her name was Lauren. She started this um, women's conference series called Black Women Talk Tech. She was like, Boris, come like volunteer to help us out. We, we do this in New York City. It's a lot of fun, um, and uh, you, you know, maybe you learn something here. So I showed up. And I'm like, I'm going to be that one skeezy guy at a women's conference. It's going to be very awkward. So that's what I was thinking going in. But I went and I entered the door and it was a feeling of authenticity. So and belonging, although it was a women's conference, I felt as if like they were welcoming and I belonged there. And I can't explain it. But like, you know, if you go to colleges where you're the only black guy in class, you work for a big bank where you're the only black guy on the entire floor or the entire 10 floors above and below you. Um, when you get into a place where like there's a black woman on stage talking about her robotics company that makes pizzas and they're valued at $4 billion, you're like, holy shit, this is awesome. Or the 14 year old girl who started her own e-commerce platform to sell her beauty products. And now her big thing is, should I go to college? Cause I'm a multimillionaire already. And you're like, these women are all brilliant. I didn't know there were this many black women entrepreneurs, number one, and then this many black women tech entrepreneurs. So I was just so taken by it. I talked to Lauren. I was like, we got to start Black Men Talk Tech. Mm-hmm. And uh, two and a half years ago, I started Black Men Talk Tech with some other people. And uh, we started in Miami, which is a growing tech ecosystem. And essentially what we do is we try to, change the notion of who could can, who can be considered a tech entrepreneur to include the black tech entrepreneur, right? And um, we try to promote the businesses of our most elite founders. We bring investors to our conference, but we also, so the investors could see what these guys are working on and potentially invest. So that's happened before. And, um, and we try to bring some level of uh, uh, insight and ideas to our founders, right? So most of them are, you know, developers and engineers and builders. So there's a lot of insight you can bring to them around marketing, um, uh, finance, managing your investors. So we try to have those discussions with them. Uh, and then the, the most recent thing we did was um, we started a summit, and we started a summit with like major corporations and government agencies where they could tell our founders, if you have an enterprise product, this is how you would work with us. 
So Morgan Stanley and the Department of Homeland Security were the first two sponsors to sign up to do that summit with us. And they basically told you know, our, our founders, um, if you if you want to get your product on a big platform like ours and make millions of dollars, like this is how you do it. So they gave them the secret sauce. So that's a, what we're about. And going through that process, we found out that a lot of our founders just weren't, even if they were successful, they were finding it very difficult to raise mm-hmm. money. They weren't raising money. Very difficult. I'll give you one example that we used to talk about all the time. We can't talk about him now because he raised a bunch of money. <laughs> but Tope in 2013 started a company called Calendly. Oh, I don't know if you guys yeah. use it. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I use it every day because I got to do meetings and it's a pain in the butt to schedule meetings. So, so Tope's company allows you to schedule meetings. So in 2013, he started, started it and um, – there's a, a there was a group that sold uh, to K through 12 schools, and they it, one person used this product and started to book all these colleges. Uh, I'm sorry, these these elementary schools, and the elementary schools loved it so much the experience of booking on Calendly that they started to book all their PTA meetings on it. The parents loved it so much they took it to their business, and next thing you know, you got a company scaling to millions of yeah. users. Tope couldn't get any money. And he'd go back, he'd ask the VCs, and they'll be like, hey, you got to do this. He'll blow by the hurdle, and they'll be like, hey, you know, we're just not into you. And he was like, well, I'm starting to make money. I blew by all my hurdles. It may be how I look. Maybe that's why they're not good. Maybe, maybe. I don't look the part. Maybe. Okay, he's a black man, by the way. I haven't made yeah, that Yeah, yeah. We talked American. about him. So essentially. Yeah, maybe, 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 maybe. Let's, let's listen. This is uh, we're we're culturally open to saying no. It was because he was black. So it's, it's like we, yeah. it's, we, we, anyway, like, I'll finish the story. By, by, by twenty six, by twenty twenty, this company was doing sixty million dollars in revenue, and he only yeah. raised a hundred, couple hundred thousand bucks. Normally, for a company with like twenty million users, five million active monthly users, sixty billion dollars in revenue, you would have raised like tens of millions of dollars the years before. He couldn't do it. And listen, people are like, oh, well, he owns the majority of his company, but wow. he's saying something like, maybe I'd be in billions of dollars in revenue mm-hmm. had I been able to hire the staff I needed for enterprise sales to hire the staff I needed to on uh, development. He wasn't able to do that. He had to fucking, you know, like dig out of it. So, so, it, so that's how we launched funder. Is there and a heavy cost structure with Calendly? Heavy cost structure? Yeah. Is it a cost intensive business? You wouldn't think it would be. No, nah, just the development. That's it. And, oh man, he's you know, probably killing it. But yeah, I get, I get it. You could scale that software. thing. Software is cheap yep. to make, right? As long as you got the skills. Nice. And then, so then, you, so let, I was just going to say, so let's dive into Funder then. So you, you know, you have that antidote, you, you know, have the, many of those stories. I mean, you think about, you know, the, I think the number most recently was like 1.2% of all funding raised for black people, no, no, minorities, it was 1.2%, black people were exponentially less. Um, so tell us a little bit about Funder and kind of your mission and the, the thinking behind it. Well, in the United States, a tools people do well. So, like, people of color who are Asian generally make up, like, 16 to 17%. I'm messing with you, Ethel. Um, I'm I'm, I feel like I'm being held back. I'm just <laughs> oh, Don't get him started. Don't um, get him started. Geez, oh, you see the Jordan jersey uh, in the back of, him, back of him? You know. I'm well, when it comes to blacks and Latinos, oh, though, we, we make up uh, even less. Right. Like, yeah, granted, all Asians make up like something like 12, 13, 14 percent of people who get early stage fund. Why can't it be more? It should be. Right. And then blacks and Latinos make up a subset of that, you know, maybe in low single digits. And then when you add all of women across all ethnicities onto that, mm, that's something like seven percent, we're still under 10 percent. All of it's women. Actually, it's actually gone down from seven. Yes, you're, you're right on. Um, so. Yeah, so that's interesting. Listen, my boys at Harlem Capital Partner just came out with a, um, just published a report on all these founders who raised funds a million plus, and that looks positive as of 2020. Uh, but why did we decide to do it? We, we, that's right, Clyde. We got all those stories, and we're like, we just have to like, we have to. One of our sponsors said 
these founders are brilliant. Let's figure out how to like get some money to them. So I went back to my finance days and I was just like, what's in vogue in investment management now? What's in vogue is investing in portfolios or indexes of companies, right? And the second thing is using algorithms to vet and analyze things. So using algorithms to do the math on what you should be invested in. Um, the other problem, so we, we have a platform at Funder. On one side, we have entrepreneurs needing funding. On the other side, we have angel investors or venture capitalists who want to invest in these companies. Um, and we mostly focus on angels, right? And there are about 400,000 active angels in the United States today, right, investing money. But there are 14 million accredited investors. So accredited investors are guys that are somewhat wealthy and um, you know, investing for them shouldn't be all that risky. So we're saying, damn, out of 14 million, only 400,000 of them were doing angel investing. There has to be a disconnect. And the disconnect is a lot of these guys are co- corporate executives um, and they want to invest and they want to find the, you know, the next unicorn, but like it's not their full-time job. And they know everyone they give their startup you know, funding to fails. But they only give it to like three or four people, and that's their experience. They're like, oh, I'm better off investing in real estate. And real estate is one of the best asset classes out there. But they've been angel investing incorrectly. To angel invest successfully, you need to invest in a portfolio of companies. You need to build a portfolio very quickly, 30, 50 companies over the first two years. And then in four and a half years, you may make two and a half to three times that money on the entire portfolio where about 90% of the companies would fail or break even. And then you have like five to 10% or somewhere even less than that. Those companies would do 30, 50, 60 times return on their investments and they make the money for the overall portfolio. So when we dreamed the funder, it was to be a place where angels could come on and see multiple companies that they can invest in. So instead of putting their hundred grand into one company, they'll put it across the hundred grand across 10 companies. So every quarter, 10 companies, and they'll build up to a point where all the companies are badasses, but only four or five of them are really going to deliver big. So that's what we did for the investors. On the entrepreneur side, we said, let's create an algorithm that's going to analyze their application and provide them with a score. The reason for the algorithm is this. When I do a traditional interview, the prettier someone looks, the more likely I am to fucking want to invest, right? So tall, blonde hair, blue-eyed dude who you know looks like a president, I'm going to give him money. Oh, shit, he's from Stanford. Here's some money. But what the algorithm does is that it says, no, I don't want to see you. I want to see the data. Interesting. How have you been growing? How long have you been doing this? So if you're, if you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars, but you've been at this for 36 months, that is, a, you look different from a person that's making hundreds of thousands of dollars, but spin at it for three months. Mm-hmm. Get what I'm saying? How long have you been doing? What's your domain expertise? What did you study in college or university? And those are some of the things that we look at, other things, the growth of the industry, et cetera. And then we assign them a score. We do personality testing as well, see how well the team will get along. And then we, um, we form a portfolio. And we have an investment committee that gets the final say on what we've brought for what we brought to them, and then the investors get to invest in those companies. So that's what funder is. And when you step back and look at who we invest in, it's like sixty percent people of color, forty um, percent white, sixty uh, percent male, forty percent female, and one hundred percent tech entrepreneurs. Amazing, amazing, nice um, man, nice. Go ahead, go ahead, Ag. Oh no! I was just going to say from from let's go back to I guess the uh, for Black Men Talk Tech. So, what are some of the biggest things that you've uh, noticed from doing the the conference so far? Like, what are some of the upsides? All right, so outside of funding, right? Funding is pretty much the end all be all nine times out of ten. What whatever what other I guess spaces do you see there's need for growth or help um, from from just from the conference? Level setting, um, your mind is an entrepreneur and thinking through a lot of our guys, particularly an MBA degree is not going to help you launch a company like everything that's needed uh, for you to think through how to win as an entrepreneur um, 
is anti what they'll teach you in an MBA, right? So you get like this MBA degree and like, it's basically to teach you how to work for industry, how to work for a big company. So hiring a bunch of MBAs won't help you. Uh, hiring scrappy people who could help you get your product out to customers and help you sell is really what you need to be focused on. Awesome. And, awesome. And, and, and one more thing if I could add to it. Yeah. Getting your product, even if it's not finished, even if you don't have the tech. I spoke to some lady yesterday who has a product and she was like, the tech isn't finished, but I delivered the service to my pilot client because he just wanted to test it out. So some of the things I had to do, we did it like old school, but the tech said, and it worked for him. So he was like, yes, once the platform is up, this will work even better for my company. So you mean like, right? uh, so like when, when Nicola put the hill, the truck on the hill and just rolled it down with no engine? Yeah. <laughs> no, you got it. You got to get it in front. You can't be in your closet trying to build something perfect because you will perfect to you, but don't yeah. know what want to use yeah. it. So yeah. you got to. So we talk to our guys a lot about user interviews and how to yeah. get out in front of your users as soon as possible. Give them the shitty product. They'll give you insight. And then you go back to your workshop and you make those changes and you come back out again. So even for Funder, we did that. We had um, we were part of an accelerator last year that ended um, in the fall. We graduated in November. And our goal was when we got out, we wanted our product to be in the hands of clients. So we started to launch it. Nice. And we thought the angels would love it. And we saw a shit ton of VC signed up for it. So there may be a change to our business model going forward, um, but it's o- we only figured that out because we forced it into the market to get feedback. Got it. Got it. I love it. And that's how you evolve that. The product becomes solid if you get that user feedback early. So a lot of tech products are getting a ton of finance. Like Elon is, you know, he's got a car company. He's, he sold it as a tech play and it's got this killer evaluation, right? Airbnb similar. They are tech plays. We'll see that. So here's one thing that we should put out there for our audience. And I love uh, uh, Boris, man. I just, man, you and I got to hang. I, I love this conversation. Man. <laughs> um, uh, if you work in tech, right? Joining a startup later, and you probably see this in your folks. If you join startup, startup later, it's often a bad financial decision personally for the person joining later, right? Um, employee number one, number two, often in tech, you know, after the founder gets 10, 20 X less equity than a founder and takes some heavy salary cut. So we are just talking about, Hey, if you're the NBA, big companies pay more, way more, less stress, go do that. Unless you can start a company, right? And then that's, that's falls right in your lane. If you start a company and get that kind of support, then it's worth your money and time unless you unless you can come up with some game changers, but just general rules. Right. And then picking back off your real estate comment. And this isn't going to um, what's the best way of saying it? You don't have to be Elon Musk to kill it in real estate. Right. So it's the biggest. It's a great asset class just to echo what you said. But it's the echo. It's the one asset class. You don't have to be a genius to make a, a ton of money in it. It actually of all asset classes probably has the most rich people who aren't geniuses. Right. And good place. I've, I've dabbled in it as well. But um, just take it from there. I like I like a lot of this, but you work hard. And a lot of the folks, you know, working hard is overrated. Working hard at the right thing is right. So janitors, chefs, they all work hard. Right. Um, but if you work hard at a product that people want, you got to it'll help you win the game you're playing. But you got to choose the right game. That's all right. So you, I'm yeah. sure you're enforcing that a lot of the black women, black women talk tech, black men talk tech. I mean, I, I'm sure that's a message that resonates. And I've been at a lot of these conferences similar. Those are the messages that resonate. You kind of want people to get into this in the right frame of mind. Yeah, no. And, 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 and so let's talk about working smart and let's talk about joining the startup versus doing your own. I, I had a call today, a lot of interesting calls. I have calls all that's day. Um, a friend of mine. <laughs> A friend of mine from MBNA, by the way, so the credit card company, she worked in tech. Long story short, she ended up at Bloomberg and she's been there for over 15 years. And she was saying, damn, you know, like we could buy, you know, I paid off my mortgage at Bloomberg, paid off my student loans, been here for 15 years, got promotions, but it's, it's comfy and it's cozy and I'm not getting any equity at Bloomberg. Mm. Bloomberg, Mayor Bloomberg is now partying with, he owns like 90% of that company. They do billions <laughs> of revenue. I used to have a Bloomberg terminal, three stacks of monitors like yes. this. 
That's beautiful, it, right? It, uh, <laughs> it, I, I think, and I got all these upgrades to it. Like my 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 monthly cost for my Bloomberg terminal was probably like four grand, and I'm like one of a thousand people on one floor using that terminal. All right, so um, Bloomberg is not going to separate with this equity. However, she was like, I want to make a change. And I think I fucking encouraged her. And let me tell you, I make startup look easy, but like doing a startup is very hard. So as Abdul yeah. says, yes, you've got to part for all the money. And my bank account is just doing this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so push it back up. <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to push it up. And wherever I get that revenue, it makes you learn how to get revenue. I tell you that because I got mm. I got to push it back up. But she she was like, you know what? I wanted to do something different, and I felt very complacent. And I wanted more risk. And she joined Stripe. So Bloomberg doesn't know she's about to quit, but she'll let him know tomorrow. She's going to join Stripe. This episode after she quits. <laughs> she's going to, you know, she, um, you know, she's like, I mean, I'm getting equity. What do you think about it? Was that a good decision? I'm like, listen, Stripe's fucking sexy. In Stripe, she's getting equity? She's getting equity. And it's just like, that's great. Damn. It's, it's sexy. And they're probably going to go oh, public yeah. in like three to five years. And, they're gonna and I have it. a... I had another friend, listen, we're going to laugh at this. You're going to laugh at me. I had another friend, a woman, same thing, gave up the opportunity to do enterprise sales and marketing at a company that just started called Uber. <laughs> and she was getting equity. And there was all these legal like lawsuits from taxi companies. And we didn't know if it was going to make it. But like when they had their IPO, she'd been there for six years. Let me tell you this. She doesn't work anymore. Nice. She, nice. She doesn't work anymore. And um, I think that's what it's all about. Um, now, if you're able to do that and do it for your own company, you make a few million dollars when you were a worker bee, you could probably turn that into a billion dollars. Take Tope of Calendly. Tope's company raised $300 million due to all the social unrest from last year. And everyone was like, all right, come on, white venture capitalists. We know you were racist. You got to give them money. They're like, yes, we do. So, okay, here's $300 million nice. at a $3 billion valuation. Tope's a billionaire now. That's so amazing. if you start your own company, what a tool said was right. Um, being a yeah, being a billionaire is a little different from being a millionaire, right? Yeah. Billionaire's not a, uh, it's just so difficult to attain that. Millionaire's easy in America, right? Um Eventually for everyone, right? I, I, you would think if you just kind of hustle and get in the right place, like to kind of follow our blueprint. I think we're just, we're giving it to them. You know, here's the thing. I listened to a podcast. So I was listening to this podcast, right? And just to echo what all three of you gentlemen have been saying and Boris kind of just doubling down. So what you just said, he was given a lot of money because of the social unrest last year. People are finally feeling guilty, hmm. but it's, the iron's hot right now. So we all know, and this isn't just an American thing. It's across the globe. Yep. Certain cultures get hot for a little bit. You got to strike while it's hot because it's a trend right now. And you know, they're going to be three years from now. They might be asleep on this topic, right? So get in while that. So I was listening to the breakdown with Sean King. This is going to be my shit you should know. Featuring two folks from Momentum Advisor, highly advisor on this. It was, it's dope. It's funny as hell. Plus they drop in. She goes, Hey, they've lowered the barriers to entry. Because they know they're trying to make up, not because they know the talent's there. So there's nothing about the talent they have to lower the barriers entry. They just know that, hey, we need to give people a look that we passed over. Mm-hmm. So your only, your only point, and this is me saying it, and I feel comfortable saying it. He's like, your only point, and this is her word, these are her words, you just gotta be black and be good. That's what she said on her podcast. And, um, which, because which, they've overlooked every, yeah. which the challenge is, is, you know, look at our, our, our counterparts who are not black and not, they're, they're not black and they're also not good. <laughs> they just went to the same school. Um, and they have yeah. some of the advantages we don't have. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it seems like a low bar, but it's not really a low one. That's, that's the crazy, that's she the crazy said, part. Said, the, okay. I'm sorry. I'm about to go off my tangent. Let's we'll finish your story. No, no, no. Finish, 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 story. Story. finish it, man. No, so they were saying the applications, right? To apply for loans, grants. She said, Hey, her company's done it. Like, Hey, five, six times they applied for money here and there. Got it right away. It's because people realize, Hey, we're dope. So Arlen Hamilton, we know, you know, throw her into the mix. She was saying, if you're a f- show up, show up here for a founder. And if you're good and you have an idea, people, investors don't want to. So like Mark Cuban gave her a million dollars, said, I want to make you rich, Arlen, because Arlen still hasn't. She could be richer than she is, but she's been playing the, you know, she's been playing to help. Right. And she goes, I'm going to give you a million dollars. 
just a little bit for him, right? And give him, give her a 30% carry versus the 20% carry. You should get something out of this. And she said, I just need people to show up, uh, and be good, be ready to receive money, show that you've invested in yourself, invested in the company. The idea is fleshed out, be ready for it. And she goes, we're not going to give you money just because you're brown, black, white, whatever. We're going to give you money because you're good. And if you're black right now, that's a good thing because everyone's trying to, it's not an overcorrection. It's finally they're seeing the shit that's been on the wall forever. There's talent. We just overlooked them because they weren't in our, in our pool of people that we hung out with. Why well, we, we've tackled this conversation before you hire from, you support the people that you hang out with in the venture community, right? And now that that venture community is growing to look di- different, it's happening. So uh, so two things. I'll talk about your 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 white friend who made that comment that you know they lowered the bar. And then I'll talk about Arlen. No, it was a it was a black lady that said it. Uh, well, well, yeah, well, even the, the black lady, right? Um, my problem with that is this: uh, the Small Business Administration have been publishing reports with an investment group, the NISC, and they've been talking about. Over the, you know, and this has been for forever. Over the last twenty years, thirty years, black, brown people and women companies have been outperforming the general early stage investment index. So, like everyone is on this thing that oh, the white guys are the guys that got it right. It's like no, they're the ones that get the opportunities. They get funny because they look like yep. the guys with all the money, right? And you think about this in the early stage portfolio. 75, depending on how you measure this, 75 to 90% of all those companies, think about it, fail. Yeah. 75 to 90% of them, depending on how you measure failure, fail. <laughs> I'd so open even more. Yeah, yeah. But and, <laughs> and, by the way, and by the way, they're investing $100 billion a year, every year, a fresh check of $100 billion. That's like 80% all white men. And then of that, 75% of these companies are going to go belly. Can we say Quibi? Right. Can we say Quibi? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they raised too much. <laughs> Yo, like, like and, and then the list goes on. Companies you'll never hear of. Yeah. Right. So, like, you're telling me you can't give black people a little bit of money because they're too risky? Yeah. I, right? They're too risky or Latinos or, you know, other people or other ethnicities. And it's like, um, yeah, so that's not the 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 people of color actually outperform. The re, one of the reasons why is because generally when they get the money, like Topay, their businesses are de risk, so they're generally only investing in the best entrepreneurs. The other thing I found, even going to my conference and doing our pitch competitions, is um, among us the guys who are really good stand out head and shoulders above everyone else. You know why? Because the general market doesn't accept them because of what they look like. And they, you know, so they need money. So they come to compete with everyone else. And it's like, imagine, you know, being a professional basketball player in the 1940s and like the black guy just couldn't make the team, but he's here like doing the, you know, the non-professional amateur league and he's fucking killing. And you're like, I don't understand why you're not in the, in the national league. And the reason is because they just didn't allow him to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, 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 in basketball, when it was only, one ethnicity wasn't really interesting. Um, and now we got people from like Eastern Europe. We got people from Australia, from Africa, from African-Americans, from Samoa playing from mm. France. And it looks a whole lot better. And, and that's what we're saying. That's just what's needed. And with Arlen's fund, I think Arlen's fund's great. Yeah. The downside is whenever you meet a white guy, he's like, go to Arlen. She invests in black people. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, exactly. And that's shitty, right? That's shitty because like and, why why can't you why do I have to go to Arlen why can't I go to you exactly yeah. and the ex- exactly and the point of the comment I was making earlier she said hey the c- talent's already in this community the black community it's just now they're finally looking so yeah. you just gotta show up be good yes. you're already black you're not you know and you're good show up that's what she was saying she was, yeah. you got to make them aware of who you are so they yeah. can give you the cash so now you've seen it actually a lot of venture funds like in our community boards man they're stepping up and I'm kind of proud of this they could do more. And it's because maybe they've been angled, uh, slotted into a corner. Let's go through some numbers like Andreessen Horowitz. They could do more. Uh, two million for underserved groups. PayPal, five hundred thirty million for no, black VC funds. That sounds insulting. <laughs> it's true, <laughs> but it just sounds so insulting. No, but it's but you know what I'm saying. This is like striking when the iron's hot, though, right? But they're like saying, hey, they're looking at it now. You're right. You're right. So you get like, so I think Andreessen Horowitz tried, they tried a bunch of, it's hard, right? Because if now you're going to, because like, if you have a venture fund, how do you justify having affirmative action fund on the side? 
Like, what's wrong with your system while you're not investing in more people of color? Sure. sure. Well, I, I think like, it's, it's like need a affirmative look action at the community, general. though, right? Or the Rooney Rule, right? You, the Rooney Rule in football is essentially the same approach. Like, if you don't have this regulated yeah. interview requirement, it won't happen because at the end of the day, yeah. you're going to go to your network, you're going to stay with your small little cohort. But if you're required to say, I have to spend this amount of money with this group, at least that will happen. So I can understand and appreciate that. In the ideal world, it'll be one general fund and it all work together. It's kind of like in marketing nowadays. It used to be a yep. what they call urban marketing, where black people would get a special budget. You go out, you spend on your BET, you spend on your, your jet and ebony <laughs> and all that stuff now. But today, that's totally changed where black people are considered general market. They'll spend their dollars not on BET. They'll spend it on ABC where Blackish is running and all those other things. So it's the same type of philosophy in that small pool and you got everything working together. So, you know, as a marketer, that's where my mind goes and I can understand why. Yes, I want to spend my marketing budget, advertising budget with black media specifically. So if I don't do it, it's going to go to ABC. So is is the investing community earmarking money for their affirmative action fund more like is so, that more like the Rooney rule where they say they have it but they don't really they don't really invest in anybody <laughs> they're parking it right now but you gotta it's a one or two year window we know that I'm, and this is gonna sound like a generalization people who have beliefs for 50 years of their life and now for two years are forced to pay attention are gonna go back to it that's what that's I'm trying to say that without saying it. They're yeah. they're they're paying attention for freaking one two years. You got to strike. Well, that's what the point with this lady and and then it's true. I've seen it with my community in other countries. Hey, they paid attention for a minute, and you got to strike while it's hot because two years later they're not going to. This is what <laughs> this is what's different. All right, we have social media now, and sure. you know, uh, you know, black Twitter is a real thing and cancel culture is a real thing so cancel culture some of my white friends will be like boris i don't know if cancel culture is good i'm scared i'm like yeah because motherfuckers will be protesting and now everyone knows about it your your dirt's out to open (laughs) culture is bad i don't think so i think it's just holding people accountable that fucked up and that's just Mm. what it is so it's boycotting people that have fucked up in a bad way that sort of violate our standards of of of, um, of, of society, right? The standards of society. So, um, you, you know, when you look at these other companies, I think you know, let's talk Andreessen Horowitz. They the partners were like, oh, let's put our money together, and they all put together like two million dollars, which is like a drop in the bucket for them, man. <laughs> right. Probably, like you know, like granted, they probably were poor when they started Anderson, but. It's been a long, it's been 30 years, right? So, yeah. like, I'm sure they're doing very well now. Um, but for them personally, maybe $2 million was the right sizing. But it failed because what happened was everyone who started to in- investigate all these new funds that are funding the black issue um, saw that they were shallow. So, most of them were investing in like nonprofits, nonprofits mm. who may give advice to entrepreneurs so how much money was actually making it to the actual black entrepreneur not much and that was the problem so you're right Athul. we did some research everyone did research and black twitter went fucking crazy and they're like it's a bunch of bullshit fucking and then on a monday i don't remember what monday but i know it was a monday (laughs) softbank went on tv and was like we're fucking funding people of color, blacks and Latinos. Yeah, yep. I'm Paul, Ju- no Paul Judge, uh, Morehouse guy. They launched the Opportunity uh, Growth Fund with $100 million. Well, uh, before they did that, they fucking fucked up and, like, you know, in their due diligence process, which was, well, did shit like invested in a white supremacist company, mm. uh, company led by white supremacists. Uh, they were well known for like, you know, twisting arms of companies to get into their rounds, but I'll fund your competitor and just beat the shit out of you. And they're well known for like fucking other, yeah, they're owned by, you know, they're like a Japanese. I've, 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 I've beat on them a lot. They've made some great, ki- they've had some great kills, uh, of, you know, uh, throughout Sprinkle, Alibaba, and it was Sprint, and then the recent ones this week, but I beat the shit out of them and Robin Hood. Sorry, Clyde. <laughs> Clyde's, Clyde's our Robin Hood advocate ambassador. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Snoop Dogg is a big investor. It's like I made three dollars and forty. 
He's like three dollars and forty-two cents a week on his one sliver of Peloton stock. He's <laughs> <laughs> killing it. <laughs> but no, get into it, Boris. You were saying you were, had a thought there. That was great. Yeah. So, 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 so. At the end of the day, I actually got to meet these motherfuckers at SoftBank, right? And holy shit, was I wrong? Was I so wrong? I had like the media was feeding me all this shit. You know, Facebook feeds you your bias. So you want to see negative shit about something, they'll feed it to you. So I was thinking SoftBank was a bad company. Um, they were they, they were this elitist like venture capital firm. And then I figured out the reason why they weren't accepted, the reason why they didn't get out of deal, get onto deals is because they're outsiders. First of all, it's a Japanese investment company. And then second of all, the Japanese guy, Masa-san, that started it. That motherfucker is not Japanese. He's Korean, right? That like, you know, he's like second, third generation Korean in Japan. And, and if you don't know what that's like, that's like being a Nigerian in, in London. The British kids will let you know you're not English. You're Nigerian. I was born here. I know you're Nigerian. Mm. That's essentially what it's like to be Korean in Japan. So he has this chip on his shoulder. And then you have this guy you know, fucking uh, uh, um, uh, Shu Nayara, who hails from uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Mm. He's, he's African. And then he worked for Rajiv, who's Indian. And and then, you know, this is other guy, uh, Marcelo, that founded Brightstar, which is a, a telecom company. He sold cell phones, you know, buy low, sell high, and made $10 billion doing it in revenue a year. So <laughs> it sold to Sprint. Now he's an executive of Sprint, and it was in, funded by SoftBank. But here's the story. When SoftBank showed up to, you know, to work with all these other venture investors, they didn't let them join the party. So they were like, okay, you don't, you, you don't want me to join the party? I'm going to raise $100 million, and I'm going to fucking take the party from you. And that's what they did. Yeah. And then they did other things. But if you know who they are, Latinos, Indians, like Koreans, Africans, those are the guys who run the company. They were just like, holy shit, there, there, there's opportunity elsewhere, not only in the U.S., in Latin America. So they, rose a, they raised a $5 billion fund for LightM. So they're the largest venture tech investor, and they're like the only ones to go to LightM. And then they said with last year, fuck, all the social unrest is going on. We haven't invested in, in, in lots of people of color. Why is that? I don't know. Let's figure this shit right. out. Let's put a million dollars towards this. Everyone, everyone, black Twitter went crazy. They're like, you got a hundred billion dollars. You're only giving black people and Latinos a, a hundred million. And they're like, oh, breaks. First of all, we're the biggest fund and we're just trying to figure out mm. what the problem is, how to put our tentacles into the society, in the society so that we could have a $5 billion business focused on just this one ethnicity that we don't know much about. Um, so that's exactly what they did. They did a $100 million bet. And when this fund succeeds, it's going to be a multi-billion dollar fund later. And they're going to be able to raise tons of money for it. So like they're like Jackie Robinson. You know, the first thing, because no other major fund said, we're going to give $100 million to black people. They're like, oh, no. So like we need them to win. So every like badass black entrepreneur I meet, I meet him. This guy started a company a couple of years ago. He's making thirty million dollars in revenue. I'm like, you're going to SoftBank. He's like, I don't know. I'm like, yes, you are because <laughs> yeah. we need them to win. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Say that line again. Because what? We need them to win. We need gotcha. the fund for black and Latinos to fucking gotcha. kill it. So it could be a five billion dollar fund, so they could raise more money. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Okay. Oh, Boris, this is uh, these are some gems here. Before we close it out, uh, what we want to do is leave you with the last word. Uh, tell us something. Tell our listeners, um, you know, some wise words um, that they should be thinking about uh, if it's you know related to black venture, um, black black man talk talk uh, tech. If it's uh, funder.ai, leave us with some wise words for our listeners. No, oh, man, I, I, I am not a wise guy. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. This is, um, this is what I'd say. I'd say, uh, and, and now I've had eight of these <laughs> since. They're Damn. smaller glasses, though, so it's like two and a half. <laughs> I, I see, I, during, the whole, during the whole episode, I see I saw you kept on pouring and pouring. I was like, oh, this is good. Let him talk. This, this not, we got to do an after hours. Hey, when, when outside, when outside opens up, Boris, I'm coming to hang out with you. 
I'm going to tell you, like, this call went too fast. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I could be on with you guys for another hour. <laughs> no, this is fun, man. I, could, I just want to chat. Yeah, yeah, this would be great. Hey, listen, <laughs> my, my advice is, um, you know, follow your passions, follow your heart, take a little bit of risk. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hard, but, like, listen, if you, if you want to have, you know, the two children and a dog in a small house, that works. But if you want to do more, this is America. I'm not American. I'm Jamaican. And my electricity when I was in Jamaica would go out whenever the fuck the government wanted mm. to shut off your electricity. Yeah. Water gets cold. We have hot water all the time. Look at you motherfuckers mm. loving your hot water. <laughs> that is the people in Texas know what it's like to be Jamaican. They could <laughs> shut that shit off of you at any fucking time. But this is America. And this is what my stepfather would say. He's Jamaican too. America this, right? And what he would mean by that is you can fucking do whatever you want to do here. If you mm. take a little bit of risk and you're successful, the payout is going to be asymmetric. The loss, you know, you may you got to go back to work at some shitty company. But the payoff could be fucking oh. huge. And like not many companies, like, you go to France – if you ain't white, it ain't happening for you. Mm. I'm telling you. French like, oh, yeah, come one, come all. But they don't give a fuck about you unless you're French and white French, right? Yeah. Here in the U.S., we got our racism. We got our fucking killer cops that, you know, kill people like us. But but you can make a fucking bunch of money. Just that shit. Just that shit. Stay on the right side of the law. <laughs> well, you, you're not bulletproof, bitches? <laughs> Damn. Oh, oh, is laying it down. On that, on that note, oh. ladies and gentlemen, we've had the great pleasure of oh, having Boris. Boris, Boris uh, finished half the bottle. More than half the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so we had we as a third bottle in the we had the great pleasure of Boris Moiston, uh, you know, come join us at the Whiskey Hue, co-founder of Black Men Talk Tech and Funder AI. Check them out. Uh, you can Google them, find all these links. Uh, it's been a great listen. Uh, before we close out, we'd like to do a couple of things before we close out. One is we'd like to talk about shit you should know. Um, hopefully, AG prepped you. Oh, it's oh just, yeah, I did. I did tell him. Okay, see, so you were about to talk. Like, some, you were about to talk some shit right there. No, right no, there. no. I wasn't. I was. I was. I was going to. I wasn't going to talk shit. I was just going to say, you know, uh, I did prep him. All right, and, all right. You know, he might have dropped his shit. You should know already when he gave us his little his gem just now. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. If he got something else, he'll 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 tell us. So shit you should so, know is basically anything that's top of mind for you. What you're reading, what you're listening to, what you're watching. A uh, new piece of news out in the, in the marketplace where you want the listeners who uh, are out there should you know to just learn or, or know about something that otherwise you don't think that they would typically know. So we call it shit you should know. Um, let us know if you want to start off. If not, we can kick it off and you can flow in. <laughs> so we'll we'll flow we'll we'll kick it off and you can flow in when it's right. So I'll talk about the first the first uh, shit you should know. Uh, so for me. Um, you know, in the marketing world, I'm thinking about subscription marketing all the time. And Twitter just launched a subscription service uh, where it's going to be called Superfollow, where it's a creator subscription service similar to Substack and Patheon, where they're going to be mm-hmm. trying to introduce uh, a subscription service so that, you know, the world of, of Twitter with, you know, fake egg profiles and et cetera has become a bad experience. They're trying to figure out ways to monetize that. And introduce new, uh, deeper engagement and get more people to pay. So, I, they just acquired that company to do that a couple months ago, right? And that's quick. Not even a couple months, like a month and a half ago, something like yeah, that. Yeah, they don't play around. And yeah, Africa good. Jack is, you know, he's he's on top of it. Africa Jack. <laughs> Africa Jack. Maybe. Go ahead, Anthony. You want me to go? No. So, so two things. All right, Cash Drop, new company. Merges Venmo and Shopify um, on a mobile side for mobile entrepreneurs. Kind of streamlines it, cuts out a lot of uh, additional fees. Black founder, his uh, Latino founder. Uh, so they're coming out. Actually, they just launched maybe about, well, not just launched. They launched about a year ago. Very interesting uh, uh, opportunity for people who are becoming mobile entrepreneurs when it comes down to merchant um, uh, e-commerce side. The other half, I think we were talking on a, I think on our last episode, a full mentioned that uh, I can't remember the Netflix program, and it kind of came top of mind. Oh, and the must deal with Hamas. Yes. What came top of mind? What's it called? The so, 
Boris, you'll get into it. So Namaste Wahala, right? Uh-huh. There's some racism. It's a it's a Nigerian and an Indian trying to get married, and they're fa- racist ass families until they come around. Probably at the end. That's what usually happens in a Bollywood type movie. But Namaste means hi in in my language, and Wahala means trouble. So hello, trouble. Anyway, go no, ahead, Andy. My, my, I hijack. No, scene. what I wanted to highlight is features, right? And, and features on these different platforms. And the feature I like to highlight is the continue watching feature of Netflix, <laughs> HBO Max, you name it, that lets you know on a consistent basis some bad choices of shows that you decide to watch, right? <laughs> <laughs> that you that will, that will stay up there that you can't get rid right. of because it's, it, because Netflix never gets rid of your continue watching. You start something, it'll be up there for about a year and a half, two years. <laughs> you, you can't get rid of it unless you fast forward through each through, the, through it. Um, you can't HBO Max the same way. Disney Plus the same way all of them they never let you get rid of your bad choices Anthony's like when his girl goes away for the weekend he's watching some shady shit he tries to borrow our accounts man <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got that's I know <laughs> um, you want to go Boris I don't want our guest to go last I'll go last um yeah I'll go I'll, I'll try to I'll, I'll try to find something it's really alright so 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 let me be a bit more diverse here if, if we have any Indian viewers and, and, and you're like <laughs> You you love dancing, or you love you know maybe you haven't been dancing as much as you should have, um, and you want to see some new steps, or maybe you do have a dancing crew and you want to see what other people do. My my buddy Rob Gupta, and by the way, fucking uh, Rohit Gupta, Rohit Rohit was one of my analysts when I was in investment banking, and now he's like an exclusive VC, so I can't talk to him unless I schedule fucking eight months in advance to talk to him. That's and, right. <laughs> Rohit it as as a VC started something on the side called Bali Shake. So Bali, oh, I know him. I know this dude uh, maybe, with another female. I don't want to say every Indian knows an Indian because then you say I'm racist. <laughs> maybe you know but how many? I, I, they're I like did a type it to myself. I did type it to myself. There's more of a racist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know him. He actually pissed at one of my competitions at uh, in yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Finish the story. He's with another woman. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 Rowan essentially started this this company. They guess a must know if you're Indian and you love dancing, you want to figure this out. Where um. Uh, a lot of the colleges and the Indian diaspora all over the world, Canada, U.S., London, yeah. South Africa, all in the Africas, um, these guys are putting together dance videos and sharing it and competing and getting to meet a lot of people and making money uh, on Bali Shake. So if you haven't seen it, get with Bali Shake. Check out my hey, boy's company. My guy, my guy, giving me props. I like it. <laughs> Because <laughs> Clyde, Clyde, he he just suppresses my shit, right? He's like, no. I'm like, hey man, can we talk about no? I'm like, damn. I wrote, I already wrote Clyde out of my will, man. I'm done with this guy. <laughs> All right, I got a couple things, man. Um, so Bali, so Bali, by the way, it's Bali like Bangura music. Bangura music's from the state I'm in, from Punjab. So like, it's like it's near and dear, man. I appreciate that. Um, okay, I got you know they asked me for one, I give them forty. I'm gonna give you forty different things. All right, Doctor Swati Mohan. She was in charge of the landing of the NASA Perseverance rover on Mars. So I got to give her a shout out. She's one of my peeps. <laughs> then I do want I do want our audience because I don't think I did it. Uh, I did a disservice to it. The breakdown with Sean King featuring two folks from the Momentum Advisors. Listen to that podcast. They talk about everything and like the the opportunity that is here. And they were very f- blunt about it. It's here for. 12, 18 months, 24 months, whatever it is, take it while it's hot. Um, HBCUs are getting a lot of scholarship money from these companies that care to give a damn right now because they're kind of forced to. And hey, that'll probably provide scholarships and get people some upper mobility, right? I like it. Um, all right. So, you know, Boris, Clyde and I have known Anthony for about 10, 10-ish years. And I wanted to say this up top, like when we brought Boris in, uh, you know, you brought, you've known him for much longer. And I wanted to say initially, this is an intervention for you, AG, because you always act extra. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Anthony likes to flex. So I want to ask you, Boris, so Anthony likes to flex his admiration for unique things, right? New York sports. He's a renaissance man. He tries to rub it in our face all the Formula time. Formula One race. So Boris, you know here we go. You, you, you know, you know, you know, you know him the longest, right? Scott, so clarify. So first thing, when first, did it you grow? go there? He fenced. So you, you might want to, you got to understand that kind of fence, man, that's My nephew, my, yeah, anyways, <laughs> that's, that's smart. Okay. So I, I like the Biggie poster behind you, the Biggie painting. Jackson that's Pollock. So behind Anthony. But yeah, and Pollock imitation. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> got the line, Greg. Got the line. <laughs> 
I'm looking. I'm looking over Anthony's shoulder, and I'm seeing the share, the five foot share poster, and the Dolly Parton poster. Like, when did he get so eclectic? So has that been a thing like since high school? Or like, what what happened? Listen, listen. I got paid to fence in college, so that was good. But but I I would say Anthony's just a nice fucking guy. Always, yeah. always will be smart guy, and just like holistic all American. So. I can't. I, I, I'm gonna have to disappoint you because I don't have one bad thing. Take that. No, I'm just. I'm just curious about the share poster behind you, man. The life size Dolly Parton video. Uh, like you know. <laughs> so, so, ladies and gentlemen, this is when I come in and do my job to get us back oh, on yeah. track. Right. So, exactly. ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're gonna talk quickly about the Copper Dog. Um, oh, Boris introduced us to Boris, it. Boris can still talk. <laughs> Boris introduced us to the Copper Dog. We tasted it. Um, you know, I, I've tasted some good notes. A hint of citrus, citrus, uh, a little bit of uh, vanilla fudge in it as well. Uh, it's sweet. It's up my alley. So I liked it. Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, I, I wasn't able to get it this time. So I, I wanted to bow out of this time. Dog ate my homework. Dog ate my homework. I know Boris loves that shit because it's all happening. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the bottle's laying on the carpet right now. <laughs> I. I got work to do, but I'm going to fucking go to sleep. I don't really, I, I do my wine. I'm happy. I'm just not slurring and, and delaying my talk. Well, <laughs> <laughs> wait till I play this back. I was playing. I'm playing, boys. Um, so I liked it. So when you first said Copper Dog, I was thinking when Mad Dog 2020, when I used to be in high school and we used to go sneak in, there's a dude, we give him five extra bucks and he would go in and buy us <laughs> Mad Dog 2020. It was a whole um, uh, amalgamation of wines. You would love it. For $2.22, and it tastes like hell, but we're in high school, so we love that shit. <laughs> right? So, but Copper Dog, I'm liking it. I've always tasted vanilla. Clyde got it, got to it first. Um, I like it. It's smooth. I'm, this is something new to me. I appreciate you bringing it up, Boris. And the price good. point is good, ladies and gentlemen. It's not one of those AG uh, whiskeys where it's arm and leg. So I used to be an investment banker, and we used to, like, when we took clients out to dinners and shit, We'd spend like fifty percent of our planning time on picking the fucking alcohol, wine <laughs> mostly, right? And then, you know, among ourselves, it was a matter of pride to have our wine competitions with each other. And nice. the goal was to see who could get the best tasting wine for the least amount of money. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And that's where, and then I, I took that with copper dog, best tasting li- uh, 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 whiskey. For the least amount of money, it's like a thirty, forty dollar, you know, twenty nine, thirty, forty nine, forty dollar uh, bottle of whiskey. But it's really, it's really good. <laughs> you know, Clyde's like six months of returns from his one fifth slice of uh, Peloton. Robin Hood, baby. Robin Hood, baby. Retirement in twenty uh, ninety nine, twenty ninety nine. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, this has been a great episode with Boris. Uh, this we are the Whiskey Hue. Check us out on all platforms. Make sure you leave a, a good rating on the uh, on all the platforms. Five stars, of course. And uh, thank you for listening, Whiskey Hue. Peace. Peace.